Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi there, this is Martina Navratilova. And you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, welcome to New York. Welcome to the US Open and welcome to the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph. My name is David Law. I'm part of the BBC Radio 5 Live tennis team. And over the next couple of weeks, Catherine Whitaker will be joining us for regular podcasts throughout the fortnight, as well as the man who's with me right now, Mr. Simon Briggs, the tennis correspondent of The Telegraph. Simon, you've been coming here for a few years now, but this place never gets old, does it? Oh, yeah, it's been a, a great addition to my um, calendar of stops on world sport. I'd never even been to the States until uh, I came here for the first time in 2011 um, and saw Ollie Golding win the junior boys title. And I remember Jonathan Overend said to me, how far do you think he'll go? And I said, oh, I'll go a really long way. Because at that stage, I hadn't seen enough. You know, I thought this guy's, this guy's gold dust. <laughs> it shows you, you, you need to spend a little time on the ground before you uh, actually get a sense of how good these people are. Obviously, in that particular instance, it shows the difficulty of the transition because if we were to go back 11 years, it was Andy Murray that Jonathan Overend and I were watching win the, the, the juniors at that point. And look at him now. Yeah, well, you, if, if we, we'd said he's going to go a long way, then I guess he would have called it right. Um, I actually spoke to Ollie um, uh, last year when he when he decided he'd had enough of tennis. It was quite a shock, you know, somebody who'd only just come into the game when I started doing this job, which isn't long ago, and he's gone already. But uh, I do wish him well. Absolutely. Well, we've got lots to talk to you about today on the Tennis Podcast. And we're going to start with the women's game. And even that is, I feel, it shouldn't be, but it's quite refreshing because how many of these tennis podcasts previews of Grand Slams and I'm sure you find it as well when you're writing your stories for the Telegraph do we focus mainly on the men first and then we we move on to the women's game but Serena Williams is the story here yeah the story in town and I was looking at the New York Times this morning and um, their Saturday magazine um, no Sunday magazine sorry I'm trying to get day of the week right uh, was absolutely chock full of Serena with um, cover photos uh, a long piece about her position in sort of American society and another piece on um, a kind of project to develop more black um, players. It was really interesting stuff. And uh, she's totally taken over the city, really. I mean, it, um, there are cutouts of her in the hotel lobby here at, at Grand Central. Um, and um, 
the plot lines are going to be irresistible. I think she will find it mentally challenging because, A, she's got quite a difficult draw, and B, uh, the, the prize is so large and, and so tempting. She must feel she's almost there, but if she gets too far ahead of herself, it'll probably crumble in front of her eyes. Yeah, we've been talking about that storyline for so long now, haven't we? But, and there's a few of them, because she's, she could go level with Steffi Graf on 22 Grand Slam titles. She could win five in a row, and obviously the most important one of the lot, the Calendar Slam, which hasn't been done since 1988 when Steffi herself did it. And if you remember back to Wimbledon, where she was basically wanting to avoid the question throughout the tournament as to whether she could complete the Serena Slam, she just was so focused on the next match and was scolding interviewers if they were bringing up the, the, the potential history she might make. Do you feel as though... Having been in her press conference over the last couple of days, do you feel what sort of frame of mind do you think she's in? Um, yeah, I think she dealt with it pretty well the other day, and she wasn't quite as prickly this time. I suppose she understood that she had to um, make a one-stop shop. Really, I think she said she wasn't going to do the weekend's press call. She was going to do a Thursday um, sort of lunchtime-ish um, round. Well, it wasn't a round table. It was a, it was a full interview room. And um, she didn't really say anything, didn't give anything away, but she was um, calm, um, quite sort of relaxed, seemed to be in control of herself and, and, and not too stressed at this stage. But it is going to ratchet up for sure. And obviously tomorrow night, uh, first round match, followed by some very juicy ones in the first week with a possible Sloane Stevens in the third round is going to be a ripper. There was a great uh, line coming out about how the women's final has actually sold out quicker than the men's final at this point because of the awareness of people and the size of that story. But even if I go back over the last... I mean, I've been coming here for the last 13 years now, and I think the biggest crowds and the, the sort of most full I've seen at Arthur Ashe Stadium, and even when they sell all the tickets, obviously people are roaming around the outside courts, not necessarily in their Arthur Ashe Stadium seats. The biggest crowds have usually been when Serena Williams has been playing. If she's taken on Venus, I've seen a match here between the two of them, and I've, I've never seen an atmosphere here like that. Yeah, and I guess there's, there's been some question whether she gets the credit that she deserves in all the venues that she goes to around the world, but New York is one where they certainly get excited by the prospect of her winning here, and I think she's now won... Um, the last three in New York, in fact, the first um, US Open I came to, returning to 2011, we saw her lose a, an exciting and unpredictable final against Sam Stozo, and that was the last match she's lost in New York. So she's been un incredibly consistent here, that she's really responded, and, and she, she obviously does feel that she gets some real value out of the crowd here and some real uh, support and affection. I think that's been a factor in her success. You mentioned her draw. One player she's not going to be playing now is Maria Sharapova because in the last hour, as we speak to you now, she has withdrawn from the tournament uh, with a leg injury, but no great surprise. Yeah, we had been sort of getting signals from um, the camp that things weren't really progressing as well as they'd hoped. And she said in an interview, I think, um, a couple of days ago that uh, maybe she doesn't heal as fast now. Is she 28? Um, it's not a, a, an advanced stage for a, a, a civilian, but for a tennis player who's been winning titles, um, you know, 2004, her Wimbledon title, she's been on the on the road a long time, and um, this this sort of ankle problem or shin problem, not not quite clear. The uh, they haven't really wanted to go into too many details, but she hasn't played since Wimbledon, and uh, she took t tournaments off, hoping that it would clear up, and uh, they're very frustrated that it hasn't. 
So given all of that and Serena Williams' draw, now Maria Sharapova I don't think would have caused her too many sleepless nights anyway, given their record and 17 wins in a row that she's had against her. But you mentioned the draw generally earlier on. It is really quite tricky, isn't it? I mean, obviously, Serena Williams is the best tennis player in the world, and she goes in as favourite for every match she will play. But I think if we were to start, particularly in the third round, she could face Sloane Stephens. It could be the Madison Keys, a, a big hitter of a similar ilk to Serena Williams, albeit somebody who hasn't had very good results of late, or Agnieszka Radvanska, somebody Serena usually handles well. And then goodness knows who's going to come through to meet her in the quarterfinals. There are so many players in that section. Yeah, Belinda Bencic is probably the one that I'd be most worried about if I was Serena because uh, she really does seem to be developing very well. Um, but I guess she won't be looking that far ahead for this for the moment. Um, the other player who looks to be in form, um, who she doesn't have to play uh, until the final, I think, um, is Petra Kvitova. That's right, yeah. Who's just won a title today. Um, Kvitova having been revealed that she's been suffering from glandular fever, an eternal... Um, health issue seems to surround her whatever's going on in her tennis but when she's actually able to get on the court and be healthy it's just the matchup which we're, we're waiting to really see it on a, at a grand, slam, a grand Slam level I can't remember watching these two meet at the Grand Slam they have played some interesting finals and, and Kvitova is one woman who has beaten Serena in the final this year um, but I'd really like to see them in a, in a Grand Slam final that would be a fantastic occasion can you imagine that? as a decider for the calendar grand sam now that would be uh, that would justify the excitement and the and the advanced ticket sales around that women's final for sure yeah because she is probably the one player out there who who's the great unknown for serena isn't she because we saw what she did to bouchard in that wimbledon final on her day she's a match for anybody in the world she can basically knock anybody in the world off the court but I did say exactly the same thing, I'm afraid, uh, two months ago. <laughs> I said I was really looking forward to hopefully seeing Kvitova play Serena at Wimbledon. And off the top of my head, I can't remember who Kvitova lost to, but I remember she didn't have a great tournament. I think she, third round, uh, off the top of my head. So it was, uh, it was really all a pipe dream. Um, let's hope that since she's had the diagnosis and maybe understands her, her health issues a little bit better, that she'll go better here. Absolutely. Now, um, you mentioned Belinda Bencic just before we go on to talk about the British players that are in the women's draw. Belinda Bencic, from my standpoint, is the one who could upset everything here from a Serena Williams perspective. I saw that match. Uh, she was getting dominated for a set. Serena Williams was playing well, but Belinda Bencic just didn't go away. Now, the only reason I think she lost in Cincinnati was because she ran out of gas. She basically won two matches straight off the back of, of winning that title in Toronto. She beat Angelique Kerber and Flavia Panetta. These are good players. Now that she's had a rest, I mean, look, I know it's very early in her career, but she is a really exciting talent. I, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say I'm picking her to beat Serena Williams, but I wouldn't put it past her. I, I'd still, I'm still picking Serena for the title, but I'm hesitating because of Belinda Bencic. Yeah, I mean, she's got to get past on the paper Venus Williams and Karolina Pliskova, the eighth seed, in order to, to get that shot at Serena. But let's assume she does that. I mean, as the Americans say, there's a great upside on Belinda Bencic. Uh, she has this um, touch that you associate with um, Martina Hingis, who's obviously they have a strong link, and she's been coached by Melanie Molitor, Hingis's mother. She's got that kind of 
creativity on the court. She's got more power than Hingis ever had. Uh, she's got quite an icy um, disposition, I think, in, in these tight moments. I mean, actually, one of the most enjoyable women's matches that I've watched this year was an unexpected one, was Bencic against Johanna Konta at Eastport. I mean, I know, I know Johanna Konta, who's on a, a run of 13 straight wins, let's give her some credit for that, the British number two at the moment, isn't one of the legends of the game, but, it, geez, that was a great match, and uh, not just great in terms of drama, but great fun to watch because Bencic is a lovely player and, you know, she really uh, has everything going for her, could be a huge star. We need to talk about Johanna Konter a bit more, I think. This is some run, isn't it? She won a, a, a lower-level title. She's come through the qualifying rounds here. And unlike when she played Sharap over at Wimbledon, she has a match in the first round, which, which is, gives her a real possibility. Yeah, I've really uh, enjoyed watching her qualifying match. Um, so she was up against Tamira Pajek, a former top 30 player. This is the final qualifier I'm talking about. And she went a breakdown in the third, um, having won the first set. She was in a bit of spot of trouble. And then something happened. You know, <laughs> Johanna Conta's extraordinary story because for most of my time covering the sport, she has been flaky. She's been a, a poor closer. She's become very anxious when the, the finish line has approached. And this year, she's gone from being that woman who can't get the job done to being the ice woman with nothing in between. There was like no seeming like progress from one to the other. She's just totally... Uh, turned into the kind of Terminator when, when she gets it within the sight of, of a win. And she's really turned everyone's uh, expectations um, upside down. Much of the, you know, I think we're all really glad to see it because we were, we were sort, of, sort of feeling for her in a way. We knew that she had a great physique. She had a, a really good work ethic. She had a nice technical game, which, which she's improved a lot on the serve and forehand. But she was missing that ingredient. And now... To return to this uh, third qualifying match, something happened at one, one two down, and she said, "You're not getting past me." And she broke back in the, in the next game in a, in, a, in a real display of absolute "Thou shalt not pass." Played some great shots, but just wouldn't let Pajek have anything for free. And then she reeled off five games in a row, and it was uh, a six-two deciding set. And that was a real um, a, a performance from somebody who had. Uh, 13 straight wins to, to feed off. They were, they, were, they were kind of going on a roll, of a wave of confidence, and it was um, very encouraging. Now, so she has got a winnable first round as well. Um, I'm now looking for her on this sheet of paper. Can you remind me who she's playing? We will get back to you on that. But while we just search for Johanna Conter's name, yes, and yes, some has found it. Yes, uh, <laughs> it is Louisa Shiriko, who is, um, or Shiriko, <laughs> let's give it the American pronunciation, who is the wild card, and she's a 19-year-old. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm forgiving myself for not quite being able to pull that name out of the top of my head because she <laughs> is a bit of a new character. She beat Heather Watson um, a couple of weeks ago in an unexpected um, defeat for, for the British number one. So she's obviously dangerous. I haven't seen her play, but, um, yeah, that, that's winnable with a, for a woman on 13 straight wins who's put together back-to-back -to -back tournaments, titles in the Canadian $100,000 events in um, Granby and Vancouver. Now, on the subject of 13 matches, one in a row, that can't be said of either the other two British uh, players in the women's draw from our perspective, Laura Robson and Heather Watson. Obviously, Heather Watson had a fantastic match against Serena Williams, but hasn't been able to find the same sort of form since then. Laura Robson, as we know, has barely played in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> we, we went to see 
Laura for an interview in the Players' Garden, and uh, Kevin Mitchell uh, from the Guardian opened with the uh, by, by remarking, "You're looking extremely fit, Laura," <laughs> which was uh, you know a good starting point for the for the interviewer. Uh, 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 he was uh, obviously impressed by by the amount of work she'd been doing in the gym, and um, I must say I, I've rarely seen her look so trim. So that's a, that's a really encouraging starting point that she's obviously been putting in some some serious work. When she moves well, you know that can be her weak point. Um, so the ball striking has always been the strength. If she goes out and can can handle the emotions of, of being back on the Grand Slam stage with so few matches behind her, you know, she can do pretty well. And she's also had a pretty decent draw. Um, she's got Vesnina, who has not won a singles match since the French Open. Um, it's almost gradually metamorphing. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Into a double specialist, I think. Um, having been a pretty good singles player in the past, so uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't put that one entirely past her by any means. But obviously, she hasn't had any form to speak of. I think she's won two matches, one of them against a, a player ranked outside the top 500 in the world. That's all she's really got to show in the wins column since her comeback um, at the beginning of the grass court season. So and uh, and Heather has uh, Lauren Davis, who is a player who's not going to knock her off the court. She's actually quite a bit shorter than Heather Watson, only five feet two inches tall. Um, a nice player, but the sort of player really that Heather Watson should be beating at this level, I think. Yeah, and uh, Heather knows that she hasn't capitalised necessarily on the excellence of her um, final performance of Wimbledon the third round where she came within two points of beating Serena Williams um, since then well she lost to Chirico and then she had another couple of defeats um, one of them uh, was against um, Petkovic which I guess that was you didn't say that's with with form but disappointing overall that she hasn't maybe been able to, to build a bit more on the form that she did show at Wimbledon and she, she's kind of quite aware that her ranking is in the low 60s, um, has got a lot of room for improvement. 
Certainly has. Well, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I did actually remark on Twitter when Sharapova pulled out, somebody has got to come through that section of the draw. And why can't it be Heather Watson? There are, there are no obvious names in that section of the draw. People like Alina Svitolina maybe has a chance. Anna Ivanovic, but she faces Dominika Sibulkova in the first round. There are no really big names in that section of the draw who can now come through to face Serena Williams in the semifinals. All of the big names are, are crammed into her own quarter. So who knows? Maybe it could be Heather Watson who benefits from that. Uh, we asked on Twitter, who can stop Serena? Biggish mouth with his big mouth, says, Azarenka for me, not faced by Serena, and uh, Williams will get nervous, and Azarenka will take advantage. Uh, Emerald229 says Azarenka as well. Maybe Keys though, or Stevens, uh, gets Serena early when she's not at her best. Dean says, on such a grand stage, I can only see Vika beating Serena, maybe Bencic, but there would be too much pressure on her at such a young age. So, yeah, it's not a bad shout, is it, Azarenka? She's the sort of player who certainly has caused her problems in the past. Yeah, it's just that I guess she can't play her until the final. So it's, it's quite a... Uh, I mean, people are saying this, this bottom half is wide open, but, jeez, I mean, you've got um, Wozniacki, Safarova, Halep, uh, Kvitova um, to get past. So I think it would be... And even, even Kerber is in... Um, in line to play Azarenka, I think, within the first three rounds. So it's going to be quite a feat for Azarenka. When was the last time she was in the Grand Slam final? I mean, it's it's been a while. Well, it probably would it would have been here, wouldn't it? I think uh, the US Open when she faced Serena when before all the injuries struck. So you know, it, it has been a while, but she's. And she's also had her own injury worries over the, the summer. I saw her pull out of a, a match a, a couple of weeks ago. It was in Cincinnati, wasn't it, just over a week ago. So uh, she has her issues as well. Now, the men's draw, obviously, we want to talk about Andy Murray. We want to talk about Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic. Suddenly, it doesn't feel like there's a really standout favourite because all three of those have got a, a case, haven't they? You've got Djokovic, who's the world number one and who's won Wimbledon. But he's lost two finals since then to those two men we've just mentioned. Andy Murray's finally beaten him and ended that eight-match losing streak against Novak Djokovic. But then Roger Federer came out and played tennis from a different galaxy, didn't he, a, a few days ago. And he was inventing all sorts of shots. We reviewed that in the last tennis podcast. And he seems really fresh. We've had a week off. Mm. Now what do you think? Well, I always take Novak first. It's sort of the banker's option. And the other thing which I wonder might play to his advantage is the building work that's gone on at Arthur Ashe because they're halfway to setting up the roof on the main court. Pretty spectacular, isn't it? Yeah, it looks amazing what they've done in, in, in a very short time. You come back 12 months later and, and uh, it's absolutely transformed. It's uh, also changed the... Aerodynamics? Would that be? The, I don't know if that's the right word, really. But it's changed the way that the wind behaves. Is what I'm trying to say around that stadium. Now it used to be swirly. It used to be very gusty. Uh, we remember when Andy beat Novak in 2012 U.S. Open final. It was pretty windy then, and then even windier in the semi-final when um, he beat Thomas Burditch, and and the, the match afterwards had to be called off for safety reasons. The wind was going so strong. So uh, that's been a big factor here, and one. F- explanation i think for why djokovic the world's best hardcore player has only won one us open which is a, a surprising stat so it's going to be calmer out there and i think that's going to 
be encouraging for Novak. I think he'll welcome that because he's the ultimate grinder, the man who feeds off of never giving his opponent a sniff. Um, and the fact that he hasn't won the last two tournaments, well, maybe it's given him a little bit of mental mental break. It's still it's still gone to the final, I know, but he's um, he's, he's been uh, so consistent this year. It's, I think he he's still got to go in as a favourite. Uh, I I always worry about um, whether Federer can maintain his very best levels over best of five. Uh, he we, we we see him win Masters series now. We haven't seen him win a slam. We've seen him make two Wimbledon finals in the last two years. Um, so in some ways, I, I wonder if the Masters best of, th- of three format does favour him now a little bit more than best of five. But look, he, he did effectively invent a new shot in, <laughs> in, uh, in the last couple of Masters events. And that's not easy to do in, in this sport, is it? No, it certainly isn't. Uh, Andy Murray opens up against Nick Kyrgios. Now, Nick Kyrgios, discuss. We've had a lot going on over the last few weeks with him. I I noticed you described him as the walking headline recently (laughs) in one of your pieces. And he's certainly given the media plenty to talk about recently, hasn't he? But it is interesting, isn't it? I noticed that Andy Murray, of all the players out there, seems to be the one who's the least hard on him. Absolutely. And um, he's been saying a few... Um, more supportive things the last couple of days. Actually, he talked to us about how he's enjoyed um, spending time with the younger guys because he feels that he was welcomed by some of the uh, senior players when he came on the tour. Maybe his current coach, even Jonas Bjorkman, would be a good example of that. So he's wanted to um, pass it on. Is that what they, that, that, that film title um, I'm thinking of? Um, the, the concept of the good deed that then, then gets uh, reciprocated to somebody else. Um, and he's certainly passed it on to both Kokonakis and Kyrgios, the two uh, incredibly skillful Australians, <laughs> which we have an interesting twist, not only here when they play um, on Tuesday night, I'm guessing, um, but also in the Davis Cup when we're probably going to see Kyrgios and Kokonakis on the Australian team in a couple of weeks' time, aren't we? Yeah, there are lots of different ingredients, aren't there? Can you see, I mean, three straight sets wins for Murray over Kyrgios. Can you see anything different here? Can you see, Catherine and I were talking on the last tennis podcast about whether we might see a different Nick Kyrgios in as much as he's got this hanging over him now. Everybody's eyes are on him. We know he's got this suspended sentence. I know that doesn't come into effect at the Grand Slam, so it's only at the ATP events where uh, he, he might get fined and end up being suspended as a result of that. But do you think it might inhibit him at all? Yeah, I mean, that. I think that that is likely to happen at the ATP events. He may almost feel that he can go out with a bang here because he's not actually um, under the same ruling um, at the ITF event. Tennis really is a bonkers sport, isn't it? I mean, how, how do we get into these crazy positions where uh, the, the men's tour is making a ruling which doesn't apply in the biggest tournaments? It, it just does my head in, but uh, that's another point entirely. Anyway, um, he, he'd probably be aware that he's got to change something up. Murray's um, one thing he's done well is get the ball down by Kyrgios' ankles in, in previous matches. And he doesn't really like it when he's sort of digging around on the floor. He he likes a nice sort of high ball that he can really unload on and get get the sort of the full torso rotation. And just he's a strong guy, and he like, likes to likes to be able to sort of play with with the hammer rather than the sort of dentist drill. Really, 
<laughs> Absolutely. You know, I was thinking, reading some of the coverage that we've seen over the last week or two, are we a bunch of hypocrites in the media? That we we like to have a bit of a go at somebody who, who behaves like this, but secretly we absolutely love it because it gives us back page leads, it gives us leading the sports desk on the radio it gives us wonderful television what are we doing should should are we getting this wrong <laughs> well yeah there is always an element of um of of, of that uh bad, bad news is what sells papers isn't it <laughs> and uh and anti-heroes are, are often what uh, get the attention of sports fans so um yeah, there is an element of, of, of we, we sort of feed off people who who take us by surprise and um, people who behave in an outrageous manner, which is, which is what Nick Kyrgios does. Um, I, I think in this instance, you, you feel a bit sorry for, for Donna Vekic. That's the one thing I'd say. And uh, um, I wrote a piece today mentioned that he still insists he doesn't feel the need to say sorry to her in person. I think he's apologised on texts and um, and through uh, sort of intermediaries, but uh, I do feel sorry for Donna because um, she's 19 years old. She's um, having her her private life kind of uh, ex- uh, exploding into the world's um, newspapers and and TV broadcasts. It's not really what you're after as you're trying to establish yourself as a as a serious contender on the women's tour and. Um, I think Stan's big enough and ugly enough to handle it. I just, I just do feel a bit sorry for her. Yeah, no, I, I know where you're coming from. So you, you're picking Djokovic. Do, it, do you think anybody else is going to come through out of those three? I mean, who's going to be the fourth semi-finalist, I wonder? But is, is there anybody you think could cause a big upset at this this tournament? We've got, obviously, Chorich playing Nadal in the first round. That's a cracking first round match. I mean, I take it you think Murray will beat Kyrgios? Was well, purely on the fact that the, the Murray has reached uh, quarterfinals of every slam he's reached since 2010. I mean, that's a hard statistic to go against. And uh, I wrote in my first, first piece this week that uh, it's very unusual that Andy goes into a first match. I can't see any instance of it before. Uh, and he's actually the lower profile of the two players <laughs> at a slam. You know, that doesn't really happen. Uh, so it is a bit different. And it'll be interesting to see how he handles it. But clearly he's been he's been in a good place mentally and uh, we were delighted to see him get one over Novak in um, in Montreal. So, in Montreal? Yeah, it was. Yeah, you, hey, come on, let's throw it right forward. Do you think we're going to get the Federer-Murray match? Do you think we're going to get a Djokovic in the final? Yeah, I mean, the, most of these um, tournaments have gone to seeding in the men's recently, and, and in a way, no one minds that because the seeded players generally are... Pretty exciting to watch. I mean, the, the the one thing that draw really has thrown up, and it, and once again, it's been pretty mean to Andy. It's not so much that Kyrgios. I think that, that ultimately, I mean, I could be wrong. I don't think Kyrgios is really the scary thing, but Vavrinka in the quarterfinal. Now they haven't played for two years since um, Vavrinka reinvented himself as, as, a, as a serious. Um, slam-winning uh, player. And he's beaten him here before, a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, he beat him here when Andy was running on empty after the um, the back trouble that affected him um, in, in, in 2013. So he won Wimbledon. He was kind of mentally um, frazzled and he was physically knackered. So 
you know, it was a straight sets win. It was pretty special circumstances. Also beat him. I think that was the last time he didn't make the quarterfinals of a slam was 2010 when he lost to, to Vavrinka here as well. So, um, but it, I, in a way, I don't, I don't think the precedent is going to play any part if they do face up against each other because Vavrinka is a totally new man, uh, certainly at the slams and has performed pretty well at these events in the last couple of years. Well, that's an understatement, isn't it? Um, and, and, you know, that's probably the, the quarterfinal that you wouldn't want. He'd prefer to have Burdich, he'd prefer to have Nishikori, um, he'd prefer to have Rafa. So uh, he's certainly um, the worst draw he could have had at that stage. Indeed. Well, it's intriguing. We look forward to every moment of it. I asked for a few of your US Open favourite memories. Some corkers came in here. Agassi Bagdatis in 2006. Both players in pain. Incredible atmosphere. Pure ball striking and an emotional win for Agassi. That's what Matt Roberts says. Chris Reen says Connors and Crickstein. They always play that one on the big screen, don't they, in the rain delays. Is that what they want? This is what they paid for, Connors was heard saying during that match. Lucy Johnston remembers the two-day semi-final between Murray and Nadal in 2008, a roller coaster and a big point in Murray's career. And we have as well Al Jassim, who remembers the Monica Seles versus Jennifer Capriati epic in 1991. The Federer tweener in 2009 against Djokovic, says Ben, and Kleister's winning the US Open. Not often tennis makes me feel that emotional, says Ali. Well, I think the next two weeks are going to be pretty emotional, Ali, as well. Just before we go, a bit of tennis podcast trivia for you to end with. Which men have won the US Open singles title without dropping a set? And in which years? Any thoughts, Simon? Clueless on that. (laughs) Well, what about you? Let us know, tennis podcast listeners, which men have won the US Open singles title without dropping a set? And in which years? We'll speak to you soon. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.